The Print Files, where we bring you the inside story on the printing industry by Print21, the people who know print. G'day and welcome to the latest episode of It's Been a Big Month in Print, the podcast for the print industry from The Print Files, where we dig deep into the big issues impacting the industry each month. I'm Wayne Robinson, editor of the Print 21 Media Hub. And I'm Lindy Hewson, publisher of Print 21 and of PK and Packaging News. And welcome to what will once again be another discussion of all the big news in print. Now, Wayne, we've got a lot to discuss. As always, so let's start with Quick Copy, one of Australia's big two print franchise groups. It's got 90 stores and more than 300 people working for it, 76 million in sales. It's a decent-sized print operation, and for the past 18 months, effectively, it's been under new management. Management that has, it seems, turned around a decade-long decline and is now aiming for ambitious growth targets of 40 new stores over the next few years. It's quite the story. And revenue growth of between 7 and 10% this year. In the commercial print industry in which it operates, Wayne, how realistic is this? Yeah, good question, Lindy. Uh, it is operating in the commercial space. We all know quick copy from its locations, which typically tend to be uh, in suburban centres, in CBDs, in industrial areas. Um, and its uh, main activity is in serving those businesses. It's a business-to-business operation. As you said there, it, be, it has been in a decade-long decline in terms of both sales and store numbers. A gentle decline, it has to be said. There's been no huge dips, apart from COVID, of course. Uh, but apart from that, it's been a gentle decline for the last, well, since the, since the GFC. However, uh, as you mentioned, 18 months ago, new management came in. The old guard uh, departed. They've been there for a long time. Sonia Schwabsky, uh, go-ahead young woman, or youngish uh, woman, came in. Um, and uh, also Eloise Penfold, who is the granddaughter of the owner, Stephen Penfold. She came in as finance manager, Sonia Schwabsky as, as uh, CEO. And uh, quick copy this year, uh, year end of June, saw the sales figure go up for the first time since, since well, before 2008, up by 2.8%. A great result. Um, now, this year's figure sales target is 7%. It actually has a stretch target of 10%. And according to Sonia Swabsky, uh, the first two months have shown they are on track for that. They want 40 new stores over the next few years. No exact target date on that. 40 new stores. They've already identified 11 regional centres and 32 suburban centres where they want those, where they see those stores, see opportunity for those stores. Um, and they also are inviting uh, people who run independent print companies to convert to quick copy. They say the advantage of that, of course, is they get all the support of the brand. Um, and a major advantage of it is that they will, those owners, when it comes time to sell, uh, it's far easier, say, quick copy to sell a quick copy store than it is to sell an independent store. So um, is it realistic? Well, Lindy, they are uh, going at it not just from commercial print, also in wide format and also in labels. And it's in wide format where the company has seen what can only be described as turbocharged growth over the past year. 46% as Quick Copy has honed in on wide format, offering those various wide format solutions to the local business to business market. 40, 46% growth. And this year, it won't be quite as much as that, they don't think, but it still will be a large number. 
So large format really seems to be working for the group then, Wayne, and um, also its model of local manufacturing, so with same day or next day delivery, and that's proving a winner against imported counterparts that have a seven day turnaround. Um, it is actually a similar story to Easy Signs, isn't it, which has effectively seen off overseas competition in its markets with its turnaround times. Is it equitable? Uh, yes, that's right, Lindy. It, it's the turnaround times that are proving key. Uh, the quick copy, the model there is you uh, order your sign, your banner, your poster in the morning. You come around and collect it or have it delivered in the afternoon. So same day. Uh, and there's no way that uh, overseas uh, distributors or dealers can obviously cope with that, let alone the cost of shipping, shipping products in. That in. In recent times, before COVID, uh, a lot of uh, pull-up banners and signs used to come from overseas. They'd, be, they'd, have the, they'd obviously send the files over there, turn them around, air freight them back in. However, when COVID happened, and, and as we know, at the same time, so huge supply chain issues, a lot of industry began the move and is still continuing that move to onshoring. And this whole large format, uh, wide format, is, is a big part of that. Easy Signs uh, was um, a decade ago, it's about 17 years old now, a decade ago it was struggling because uh, it was offering everything to everyone. And then it took the decision to only offer online products, only offer product that it could price online, and only offer product with a three-day maximum turnaround time, which is now actually brought down to one day, 24 hours. And through that, a lot of overseas competition, which dominated the market a decade ago, has basically retreated. Uh, and so Quick Copy is uh, offering a similar model. They're going for, as I said, same day. You can have it same day. Uh, the demand for uh, wide format is continuing to grow and uh, from quick copy it's going to be, or it has proved to be in last year and they're obviously hoping it will be, uh, a, a, a revenue generating, profit making uh, part of the business. Well along with the wide format posters, banners and A-frames, quick copy is also looking at labels as a growth sector. And really, we can see that the company is embracing new technology to broaden its application base in much the same way as any print business can. Yeah, that's right. Wide format, obviously, is a new technology that commercial print businesses can get, can get involved in. Uh, and labels now as well, thanks to digital label production, you can buy a digital label press for less than 20 grand. Uh, that will, I mean, it's not, it's not going to produce the labels that are going to Hartley's Jam or, you know, a, a huge long run product. But for the, the multitude of craft, food and drink and uh, uh, operations that are set, starting up now, labels, short run labels, offers a great option. And uh, for quick copy, they already are in labels. They use uh, trade label printers. And now, now they also have the opportunity to bring labels in-house. And that's the same for any print business. They can all diversify. For quick copy, that's part of the key to its growth and, and part of what uh, they, they believe will drive that 7 to 10% growth in revenue this year. Well, on the subject of labels, Wayne, you've just returned from a week in Brussels. And um, apart from the beer and the chocolate, you were there for Label Expo, of course. That's the world's biggest label show. What were your key takeaways from the show? Uh, yeah, Lindy, well, the beer was terrific, <laughs> as you know, Belgian beer, best in the world. Um, yeah, Label Expo, 37,000 visitors were there, 630 exhibitors. It's the final time in Brussels. 
I don't know if any tears were shed when it, when, uh, on the last day, but there was certainly a little bit of a wistful look in some of the exhibitors, particularly some of the long-time people that had been there. Uh, I don't know if you've been there or not, Linda, or many of our readers, listeners have been there. It's an incredible Art Deco complex. One of, it must be one of the finest in the world. Uh, unfortunately, uh, in the 1930s when it was built, uh, there was obviously no, uh, no need for air conditioning because it was absolutely sweltering and everyone was suffering that. The key themes at Label Expo uh, were sustainability, uh, the, the ongoing development of digital presses, hybrid presses, and actually the return of flexo presses, entry-level, new, new entry-level flexo presses. The mass, the big broadening of applications, Label Expo really could be called Label and Packaging Expo because a lot of the technology that was on the show there and a lot of the opportunities that the vendors uh, and the various educational sessions were uh, providing and were, were showing to the label printers over there were in the opportunities for label print businesses to develop into folding carton and into flexible packaging. Uh, essentially leveraging their skill sets, leveraging their customers, using some new technology, creating what are essentially new revenue streams for them. So that was, that was a big part of it. Process integration was also big. Uh, label printers recognize now that the press, you can't see it as a standalone piece of equipment. To get the most out of it, you've really got to optimize it, and that really means integrating it in, your, in a whole production workflow. And that means everything from the moment you send out your quote to the moment you send out your dispatch. All the admin, all the production, all the pre-press, the post-press, the delivery, everything on one integrated network. And that will really enable you to, so say the vendors, uh, generate uh, maximum profits. So yeah, it was there. But overall, the overall overarching theme of all those themes was sustainability. The industry is making great moves. Lineless, lineless labels are coming. The embossing people are showing new uh, sustainable product. Its uh, labels can be a little tricky with the adhesives and the backings, uh, but uh, there's no doubt that the uh, manufacturers, the developers are responding to the demand from the brands to create uh, a sustainable product. Yes, well, like labels and wide format, packaging, of course, represents a major opportunity for print businesses. But we do have to remember, Wayne, as you've pointed out many times, there's much more to it than simply adjusting the settings on your press and putting board or different substrates through instead of paper. And it is in the packaging area that we are seeing this month quite a bit of industry consolidation. Yeah, we've seen a big and a small, Lindy, uh, Westrock Oceania, which most of our uh, readers will, will know as the old Hannapack carton printing operation in Richmond in northern Sydney. Uh, they, the, Hanna, the Hanna family sold it to the US giant US operation Westrock uh, six or seven years ago, 2017. Uh, now that is going to become part of the giant, uh, the, well, the global Smurfit Kappa business, Irish-Dutch conglomerate, uh, following an $11 billion acquisition. That's Smurfit Kappa buying Westrock. So now Hanna... The Hanna, old Hannapat business, which is now Westrock Oceana, will become part of that, as will all the um, uh, Westrock businesses throughout the world. When the deal goes through, it will become the world's biggest paper and packaging company. 100,000 employees, 500 converting operations, 67 mills, a huge operation. And we've also seen uh, $34 billion in revenue. Um, 
We've also seen this month uh, a smaller consolidation with uh, Filton buying in Melbourne their flexible printing packaging company buying it, buying ACP. So these uh, consolidation is happening across the board and in packaging and everywhere you and I turn, Lindy, I'm sure, we hear uh, packaging is the big opportunity. Heidelberg, now the world's biggest press operator, manufacturer, more than half of its presses are going into packaging. The um, business that Jamie Weller has just become managing director of, Kissel & Wolf in Melbourne, uh, the, the German operation, German business, of course. The focus there that Jamie, I was talking to him, said he's going to be focusing on packaging. And so it's uh, obviously the packaging arena is a big one for print and for commercial printers, all of them really ought to be looking at it. Well, the Smurf at Kappa and Westrock deal is huge. And obviously, it's still subject to the regulatory approvals and other customary closing conditions. But what that merger indicates to me is the opportunity that's growing on the paper-based side of things, Wayne. That deal was announced while I was at PAC Expo. So while you were at Label Expo, I was running around Las Vegas. Um, and at PAC Expo, there was a proliferation of paper-based solutions, not least on the West Rock stand. And I spent at least an hour there going through some of the most amazing amazing new technology that they're bringing to market to replace plastic, say, for example, for carry handles, for big bo for bottles and for cans, and, and also even replacing shrink wrapping, where a shrink tunnel now can be adapted so that you just do a paper overwrap to carry a crate of uh, a case of beer cans. So some really interesting developments. Of course, at the time, the deal had just been announced and nobody was allowed to say anything. So there are lots of inferences. Uh, but it is a very exciting deal. And so too, for on a smaller scale, for Filton and ACP, because uh, there's a lot of growth in the flexible printed packaging segment, and especially in fresh produce, which is where Filton is operating. And they're very excited about that deal, I must say. Now, one company that will be entering the packaging sector that has also caused a bit of a stir with its news about it entering is IVE, the country's biggest printer. Where are its plans up to now and how do they stand up, Wayne? Yeah, IVE is uh, committed to entering the packaging market. It's zeroing in on the higher margin short run folding carton segment and possibly also flexible packaging segment. IVE is on its way to becoming a billion dollar business. Um, it owns the heat set market. It's very big in wide format and promotional products, brand activation as it's called now. Uh, packaging is a natural extension or natural area for Hive, which has since it floated in 2016, diversification has been one of its key strategies, not just heat set printing, but all those other areas I've just mentioned. Um, it says that um, it's looked at the whole packaging market and it believes that the, what is the, it says in Australia, $700 million fibre-based folding cartons market will be its initial and primary area of focus. How will it get into that? It will acquire. It's looking to acquire a business in that field. It's not going to compete right at the very top tier, it says. It's going to be competing in that mid-tier of the folding carton market. Uh, short run, specialised, medium run. Variable data. So it, uh, yeah, it's, it seems a natural uh, acquisition for the company to be in. It's got a, it's set aside a forty million dollar war chest to go out and buy someone, um, and uh, we are waiting to see who that's going to be. 
Yes, I'm certainly interested to know. Now, this month saw Opal exit the envelopes business. Opal also, of course, a packaging company, but um, operating on the Australian, its old Australian paper side in the envelopes business. It was manufacturing a million envelopes a day under its Tudor brand at its Maryvale mill, but that part of its business, like its commercial paper and copy papers, has stopped since the court judgment ended logging in Victoria Forests. The reverberations are continuing, Wayne. Uh, yeah, they are, Lindy. Uh, the uh, Opal actually sold its uh, envelopes machinery and stock, as I understand it, not the business. Uh, and it, uh, also its stationary business, uh, which is also operates out of Maryvale, that's, it's been unable to sell that. This all comes, Lindy, as you mentioned there, back to the judgment at the back end of last year, November, where the Supreme Court said it ordered Vic Forrest's logging contractor to take more care. They said they were doing all they can. They stopped. No more products going into Maryvale Mill. Uh, so that's had a huge effect initially on the commercial printing and copy paper business, 200,000 tonnes a year they were producing there, that stopped. Uh, and now the latest uh, is the envelopes, which stopped and which they've sold off. Cameron's, uh, it's a great, op great opportunity for them, based in Minto, New South Wales. It's uh, an offset print business and an established uh, envelope manufacturer, 60 years old this year, actually, uh, founded by the current owner, Troy Cameron's grandfather. So one man's ceilings, another man's floor, as they say. Um, but yeah, tough news for Opal. Um, hopefully the deal meet with them means that envelope manufacturing will continue within Australia. And unlike the reflex copy paper, say, which has now been all been, or the substitute has now all been imported from overseas, hopefully envelope manufacturing will continue within Australia. Well, speaking of envelopes, um, that kind of brings us nicely onto Australia Post. A disastrous set of full-year figures, losing a million dollars a day every day on letters. Now they're wanting to raise prices and cut services. Where will it end? <laughs> yes. Well, that's a million-dollar question, Linda, literally. Yeah, Australia Post wants to increase uh, business mail pricing by an average volume-weighted average of 20.6% from January as it seeks to stem those huge losses. Uh, that 26% is in, uh, as far as uh, the printing and mailing industry concerned, uh, was in pre-sort. Uh, two of the other main rates, promo post and charity mail, they're after much smaller interest increases, still 5.2%, 3.4% respectively, so still still decent. Uh, ordinary mail is going to go up by 25% to $1.50 a stamp. Australia Post lost $384 million on its letters business in the financial year, and that dragged the whole entity, government-owned, in other words, taxpayer-owned, owned by you and I, down into the red for only the second time since 1989 to $200 million. Paul Graham, Michelle, the CEO, Michelle Rowland, communications minister, they know something dramatic's got to happen. Uh, Kelly Northwood, PVCA, is contributing to the ongoing discussion of what's going to happen there. Um, but unfortunately for the print and mail industry, Australia Post's uh, main strategy with mail seems to be jack up prices uh, and, and cut down services. Uh, and that hasn't really served it well, as this latest set of figures will show. Where will it all end, Lindy? Uh, <laughs> That's a, not in a happy place, probably. Well, of course, it impacts our business too, Wayne, because we post out magazines and... Um you know, that's, that has an effect on us too. So one day we do hope that we'll be talking about positive stories in relation to Australia Post, but it seems that day has not yet arrived. 
I do wonder, though, if some dramatic disruptive reset is necessary. Um, I say that because this month saw the passing of John Warnock, whose influence on the commercial print industry cannot be understated, and who did introduce a dramatic disruptive reset. Uh, yeah, John Warnock, one of the architects of Postscript and the PDF, co-founder of Adobe Systems. Sadly passed away, aged 82, two years after his co-founder, Chuck Geschke, died. Uh, those two had a profound and universal Im impact on the print industry. They created Postscript, uh, which enabled desktop publishing and saw off the, the uh, print systems that were million-dollar systems, enabling them to be replaced with $5,000 systems. And then a decade later, they came up with the PDF, which is, as we all know, ubiquitous in the commercial print industry. Then they launched Illustrator and Photoshop, the photo never lied until those two came along. So yeah, their, their uh, impacts cannot be understated. They, they actually were working for Xerox uh, and took their ideas to Xerox at the time. Xerox wasn't interested. So they left and founded Adobe in 1982. Adobe now worth $237 billion US, 10 times more than Xerox uh, with 29,000 staff. Of course, hindsight's a wonderful <laughs> thing, isn't it? Um, the term revolutionary, you know, we, we get press releases every day, don't we, Lindy, with revolutionary attached to it. Um, not many things are revolutionary, not many people, uh, but certainly those two, Warnock and Geschke, can be described as true revolutionaries for the print industry. So, rest in peace. Yes. On that note, I think we'll wrap up this episode of It's Been a Big Month in Print. And, of course, as ever, I always say, it has been another big month. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We certainly value your feedback. Um, we like to see the downloads. And if you think it's a great show, please do share that. Um, it has now come to be that kind of time, Wayne, when I say goodbye. And goodbye from this episode of The Print Files from me, Wayne Robinson. We look forward to you joining us again next time. For It's been a big month in print. The Print Files podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Print 21. Owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Print 21, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast audio, please contact Print 21 via their website, that's print21.com.au, or send an email to editor at print21.com.au. You can subscribe to The Print Files via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on the printing industry at print21.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.